Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. If you weren't here with us last week, we're in week two of a little uh, three-week message series in which we're talking about uh, this word right here, generous. Uh, I said this last week. How many of you think that's a good word, generous? Yeah. I think most of us, if we're honest, we would love to have this be a word that describes us, that we are generous with our, with our words, generous with our time, generous with our resources. Well, one of the, the key things that we, we really thought about last week as we kicked off this series, which Brian did such an incredible job just summarizing just now, uh, was this idea that, man, why are we generous? I could tell you that we're generous because when we're generous, good stuff comes back to us. That's actually true, but that's not why. I could say that when we're generous, it makes things better for the people around us and our community. That's true. It's not why. I could say that when you're generous, you get treasures in heaven. True, but it's not why. The reason why we aim to be generous is because we are reflecting back who God is. And God is a generous God. And we learned last week that God himself gave his first and his best for us and to us. And so when we receive all of these good things from God, that it is it is right and natural for us to respond with generosity towards him and towards others. And so. We're talking about this idea of generosity. Our key text uh, over this three weeks is found in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. And you can just hit clear, clear all and then click on that again and we'll get rid of this beautiful mountain scenic background. There we go. As for the rich in this present age, Paul is writing to Timothy and he's, he's telling, telling Timothy how to address this area of, of money uh, with the people of the church of Ephesus. And he says, as for the rich in this present age, most of us would not consider ourselves rich. But according to uh, world standards, we are probably, most of us, in the top 5%. So we are the wealthy of this world. We just don't realize it. And he says, as for the rich in this present age, here's what he says. Tell them not to set their hopes, no, sorry, charge them not to be haughty or proud. Don't think, man, I've worked hard. Man, I'm good with money. Man, look what I've achieved. Says, don't do that. Don't be proud. And don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't, don't start thinking that you're good because you have all this stuff set aside or you have this wealth. Don't trust in your wealth, but trust in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. If you want to know what the Bible teaches about money, it starts with this idea of stewardship. Everything we have belongs to Him. Everything that we have has been entrusted to us and we're managing God's stuff. And when we understand it in that light, then we would respond in this way and this is how He encourages us to move forward. And we go to the next one. As... No, go forward. There we go. Therefore, we are to what? Do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous. And let's all say this together. Ready to share. This is the phrase that I want to kind of zero in on this morning. Ready to share. And I really want to ask the question, does this describe, does this describe me? And does it describe you? Am I ready to share? Last week, we, we, we talked about this tension that so many of us face, that we want to be generous. We want to be generous. Just wait for this to show up. <laughs> we want to be generous. There it is. We want to be generous. But for so many people, it's like, I want to help. I want to give some resources. I want to show up. I want to be there for the people in my life, but I can't. And so I sang the song in the wrong key. If I had a million dollars. So if I had more, then I would be sharing. But we want to be generous. But here's the thing. Few, few people are ready to be generous. Few people are ready. And here's the thing. If you want to be a generous person, 
If you want to share your resources, your time, your heart with others, you actually have to have this little thing that we like to call margin. Okay? And this is so, so important. People don't, people don't recognize that this is the key to generosity. Margin is. So let's give you a little quick definition and then I'll give you some examples. Margin is the space between our load and our limit. Did you know that all of us have a limit? We have like, we have X amount of dollars to spend. That's the limit. And we shouldn't spend everything, so there should be some margin. And so there's the load and the limit. This is true with our time. Your calendar, you have so many hours in a week, so many hours in a day. That's your limit. We want to have margin. And the margin is the space between your load and your limit. When I was young, when I was a young man learning to drive, I remember the first time I went in a real sports car. You know, because I'd, I'd been driving in my parents' cars, and my parents' cars never had uh, what probably a lot of our cars have now, an RPM gauge. So in your car, you'll see how fast your engine is turning. And I remember the first time I saw an RPM gauge, and as, as we were driving, the gauge went up. I'm like, this is awesome. And I remember looking at it, and I asked the guy, and I was driving in his car with him. I was passenger, and I'm like, what's with the red line? And he said, oh, that's called the red line. <laughs> And he said, when your engine goes into that, you've actually gone through the power band. So your engine has this range where it's like most powerful, all the horsepower. Once you get through it, you get to the red line. And, and he said, you can, that needle can go into the red line, but it better not stay there. I'm like, ooh, interesting. He says, yeah, if you drive it there, stuff starts breaking. So if you, if you were to go down the highway in third gear in your car, 8,000 RPM, it would not take long, stuff would start to break. And of course, you know this, you would never drive your car this way, but can I tell you something? Some of us drive our lives like that. Financially, we're like beyond our limit. Maybe emotionally, because you know you're, you have an emotional limit. You can only handle so many relationships. You can only handle so many hard conversations. Some of you are like nodding. That's <laughs> true. You can only handle so much time with your in-laws. <laughs> I'm kidding. I have great in-laws. But we have, we have so much margin, and sometimes we, we literally drive our lives at the red line. We are like extended everywhere, and, we, and, and what happens? Stuff starts to break. If you went to a gym, and you said, I want to get in shape, and you hired a, uh, what do you call that, a uh, personal trainer, okay? I don't, look, I'm not a personal trainer, but I've, I've, I've worked out a fair bit. I know you can't tell by looking at me, but I have, and, and I've learned a lot about it. And I'll tell you this, no personal trainer worth their salt would tell you when you go to the gym, try to lift the heaviest thing you can lift every time. Like you get under that bench press and you're like, yeah, just shaking, no warm up. Just get under there trying to push your maximum weight. And if you did that three times a week, let me tell you what would happen. Stuff would start breaking <laughs> your shoulders, your pat, you'd tear muscles. You'd, you'd have all kinds of tendonitis. And so a good a uh, personal trainer would say, you need margin. He would say, let's take 60% of what you can lift and we're going to lift that 10 times. And then we're going to go to 70% and we're going to slowly work towards. So you got a limit, but we're going to operate below the limit. We're, we're going to operate with some, some, some margin, right? So here's the thing you have to understand is that we were created for margin. Okay, God actually made us and wired us to have margin in our lives, okay? We were created to live with it. And if you are living your life and you don't have margin... I assure you, stuff will start to break. It doesn't work. I got a, a picture of a page, okay? Most of us, when we read a book, it looks something like this. And we don't even notice the fact that there's all this margin around the edges. That space is really, really important. These little nice breaks in between, you know, the paragraphs. It helps us to find our place on the page. But, uh, you know, if publishers wanted to save paper, they could print the book like this. 
And you're like, oh, I don't want to read that book. Say, they could save money. There would be less pages because they could cram more letters in. But that margin matters, doesn't it? Let me show you a picture of a living room. It's not mine. I wish it were mine. Okay. Here's this beautiful living room. And, and I mean, most of us would say, I'd like to hang out in there with my friends. But look at all this wasted space on the floor. What's that all about? It's called margin. Most of us would not want to live in a room that looks like this. There is no margin for anything, right? It's just crammed in there. So, so you can see just by these two simple examples, you're like, oh yeah, I actually need margin in my life. And this isn't just true about your living room or the books you read. It's true about your finances. It's true about your emotional energy, relational. It's true in every single area, your calendar. Okay, and let me, let me share with you a few things that happen when you have no margin, okay? When you have no margin, when you have no margin, Stress levels go up. Is that true? Let me give you an example. Let's say you're going for a job interview and the job interview is at one o'clock and you live 10 minutes away and you're leaving at 1250. And so you're like just going to arrive just in time and you get in the car and you start driving and you realize your husband didn't fill up the tank and the light is flashing. You're out of gas. And then you hit a couple red lights and then there's an accident and you're delayed for five minutes. Guess what happens to your stress levels? You're, sweat, you're going to have sweaty pits when you go into that meeting. It's going to be embarrassing. You're going to come in late and you're going to be like, oh man, traffic was crazy. My husband didn't fill up the car. This is, and you're going to be blaming it on everything else. And the real problem is you didn't, have, you didn't have margin. And so when you don't have margin, what happens? Stress levels go up. You leave your homework till the very last minute and you're like trying to study. It's two in the morning. That stress level is being created because of what? Lack of? margin, right? This is really, really simple stuff. So stress levels go up. Here's another thing that happens. Relationships suffer. Relationships suffer. This is true. I have noticed that over the life, and I've shared some stories in the past, like when we started this church 12 years ago, I was working a full-time job running a business and I was doing all of the church stuff on the side. I was working way too much. And I've talked about that. And over the years, I've been learning to create margin. And there were some seasons where I was not very pleasant to be around. And some of you are like, you're not pleasant now to be around, but it was worse back then. Okay. And uh, because my, my typical, you know, when I'm, I'm, I'm intense and, and I'm tough to be around sometimes my kids are in the front row nodding. They, they know this is true, but I, I recognize there was a serious problem when we went on holidays. So we go to Florida for a couple of weeks and we get down there. And after three days of me being angry with everyone and sleeping in and just kind of just sort of catching a breath, I put on my Birkenstock sandals and my shorts and I would like, let's have fun. And I'm being goofy and people would look at me and go, who's that, Nathan? And my kids would say, oh, that's holiday Nate. Yeah. So there was like regular Nathan, like the intense guy who's always working too much. And then there was holiday Nate who was actually relaxed and fun. And when I realized that there was this huge discrepancy in the two Nathans, like, okay, I I need some margin in my life, right? Oh, he comes out once a week, once a year, you know, holiday Nate. And so when, when we are stressed out, relationships suffer. If, if, you, if, if you have friends or a small group member that calls you, it's like, hey, could I have an hour of your time? I'm going through something. I need someone to listen, to pray with me. And you flipping through your calendar. December 12th. Like, if you don't have margin, you can't do relationship. If you're at work... You know, giving all of your emotional energy and then you have all of your other stuff and then you get home at nine o'clock at night and you're exhausted and your kids come up and be like, hey, can you help me with something? It's like, why didn't you do that before? That's because you have no emotional margin. And and this is the final thing is that we, we can't be generous if we don't have margin. You can't give people your time if you don't have any, if you've spent it all. 
You can't help people financially if you've already spent all your money. If you have no emotional margin, you can't care for people and love people well. So I think this margin thing is, is kind of important. It is, in fact, the key to generosity. If you want to be a generous person who shares what you have and ready to share, you have to have margin to do so. And if you're like me, sometimes um, I've thought, well, but doesn't God want me to be efficient? Shouldn't I use every penny? Shouldn't I use every minute of every day to do good things for Jesus? And I would say that if Jesus were here, he'd be like, no. Cool your jets, Nate. I want you to have some, some margin. So I want to first show you this in the law of Moses. When God gives instruction to Moses for his people, the nation of Israel, and how they were to live when they got into the promised land, he implements a, a series of things that would... Um, enforce margin in people's lives. So let's look at them. The first one is what we call the tithe. So this means that the first 10%, this was law for them, not law for us. We can choose to do this, but this was law for the Jews. The firstborn, we talked about this last Sunday, went to God. The first fruits of the field went to God. So, so you, you couldn't spend all your money because some of it was God's. So 10%, so you could live on 90 or less. That's financial margin. It was, it was, it was law. You with me? The second thing was the Sabbath law. And so the seventh day of the week, Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown was called Sabbath. And it was a day of rest. And not only did you rest, the whole economy, the whole society shut down. Now, on this day, like for us, we're like, I got a day off. I'm going to rake some leaves. If you raked your leaves on the Sabbath, you'd get stoned. I mean, literally, the whole nation would stop. People would, would eat meals with their family. They would pray and sing songs. They would play board games, go for walks, just everything off. No emails, no nothing. Everything shut down. So God's like, I want you to have margin in your finances. You can't spend it all. I want you to have margin with your schedule. You have one day where you do not work and you rest. So this is margin and finance, margin in your time. Third, there were seasonal festivals that the Jews had to keep. They would have extended multi-day parties where they have good food and your friends and neighbors and community would gather around your extended family. So this was creating relational margin. So think about it. God's like, by law, you have to not spend all your money. You have to not spend all your time and you have to spend time with other people. So it's creating margin in all these areas. The last one is one I want to look at real quick. And this is called gleaning restrictions. Now I know most people don't read Leviticus for obvious reasons, uh, but I'm going to show you a couple of verses from Le- Leviticus, and I want you to see the principle of margin that's found here. In Leviticus chapter 19, it says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, God's like, hey, I'm going to give you this land, and when you're going to plant fields of grain, and when you do, you shall not reap your field to its edge. God's like, I don't want you to bring in all the grain. I want you to leave some around the perimeter. Think of that page. He's like, I want you to leave some space. But God, isn't that inefficient? Yes. God, shouldn't we, we maximize? No. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. So you cut the grain down, and some grain are going to fall on the ground, and so you would want to pick those up and save them. God's like, just leave them there. By the way, this is called margin. And then he continues, and he says this, you shall not strip your vineyard bare. He's like, you're not going to pick every grape. You're going to leave some on the vine. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes. So the wind falls, leave them there. You shall leave them, and here's why. God had an intention for it. You will leave them for the poor and the sojourner. So people who had nothing to eat could come and eat from the perimeter of your field, eat what's fallen on the ground. That people who are traveling through the region and had no food could come and pick the grapes that are left over on the vine. God was saying, I don't want you using up all of your resources. I want you to have some to share. 
So God, so what I want you to see, God mandated margin for his people so that they would always be ready to share. Unfortunately, now we're in New Testament people. I don't have to tithe. I can spend all my money. I, yeah, I can spend all my time. I can spend all of my reason. And it, we think that we can just push ourselves to the red line and the limit. And in the end, we actually suffer for it. Because God put these things in place by law because it was best for his people. He wanted them to live with margin. And so you and I, we're not, we don't have to have margin by law. But we should pursue margin because it is wise and is good for us and for those around us. So the title of my message today is Minding the Margins. And because we don't have a lot of time, I want to just point out um, some, some really practical things financially. So as we're going to talk about money today, uh, I'll say this. Don't worry. I'm not, a, I'm not a financial planner. I'm not here to tell you exactly how you should spend your money. Certainly not. I, I want to share with you some principles and maybe give you some tools that might help you. And I encourage you to find someone you trust, especially if this isn't your thing. Because this is not everybody's thing. Like graphs, charts, percentages, mathematics, and formulas. Not everybody's thing, right? I was talking to someone before the service and I said, there's going to be a lot of graphs and charts. And they got super excited because they're a blue, right? And if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about the different temperaments. And blues love details and they love charts and they love numbers. And all the yellows are going, I hate budgets. Get me out of here. And the reds are all going, don't tell me what to do with my money. So... (laughs) Everyone's going to respond differently to what I'm about to say. So I, this is hopefully uh, some tools and a little grid that can, that can help you to think about uh, how you use and spend the resource that God has placed in your hands. And, that, and that's my hope is, is that I would help you today. So everyone lives on a percentage of their income. Okay, this is true. Like whatever your income is, doesn't matter if it's big or little or somewhere in between, you live on a percentage of it. Unfortunately, too many people do not know what that percentage is. Like, well, I just spend it. And at the end of the month, there's some there or there isn't some, and I have no clue. And, and I think that this, this is an issue because, again, what do we say? God wants us to have margin. And in order to have margin, we need to know kind of what's going on. We need to know where it's going. So I've got a little, a little graph here. So those of you who love graphs, this is money and this is time. And for most of us, as we pr- progress through life, our income increases, we hope. If, usually it tapers off around the age of 55 for most people, so then it'll start to decline. But... If, if you've done things right, you're, you're not going to be panicked about that. So your income's going up. And then next, we're going to put our spending on there. This is our expenses. And if you're doing finance right, this line should be lower than that line. And the space between these two lines is what we call margin. <laughs> and if you have a margin, things go really well for you. Because with that margin, you can choose what you want to do with it. If there's money left over at the end of the month, you can go, hmm, what do I want to do with it? You could give it away. You could save it for the future. You could pay off debt. You could buy some nice things for your family and increase your quality of life. There's lots of stuff you can do if you have margin. And I'm telling you, the key to financial freedom is margin. When you can figure out a way to make sure that your expenses are lower than your income, you have margin. And that margin is what gives you financial freedom to make decisions that will better your situation, your families, and hopefully uh, so you have room to share with others. I love this in Proverbs 21. It says this precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. He's like wise people have stores, the resources set aside for a rainy day. They're prepared, but a foolish man devours everything. Here's, here's a chart. And unfortunately, statistically speaking, many people in, in Canada 
are living paycheck to paycheck with zero margin. Like they're $200 away from going into the red. Like if something happens. So you're spending in your income track. And for a lot of people, even if you get a $20,000 a year raise, we increase our standard of living so that our income and our spending are always the same. Now, the reason why I think this is dangerous, it's always dangerous, but right now I think it's really dangerous. Here's why. How many of you have, you, how many of you have noticed that the price of gas has gone up in the last year? Okay, a few people. How many of you noticed the price of groceries going up? <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, it's crazy how much, right? The price of, of, of heating your home. Going up, electricity going up. And so what's happening is we are in right now a period of inflation. Inflation is higher than it's been. Interest rates going up, so the cost of borrowing is going up. So what happens is if you go back to that slide, you go back to the previous one for me. If you're living like this, and I, I'm not a doom and gloom guy, but we've had 10 years of up and to the right. Our economy's been really solid, and I think the next year or two might be lean years. Might be a little more difficult. And if our spending increases, not because of anything we do, but just because of inflation, then we end up underwater. We end up like this, where we're actually spending more than we make. And unfortunately, if we don't have a budget and we don't have a system to track our, our finances, you don't know that this is happening until you get to the end of the year and you're like, why do I have all this on my credit card or my credit line? Why? I'm in debt because I've spent more than my income. And what does that do? Debt actually it enslaves you and it keeps you from being generous in the future. It keeps you from doing the things you need to do because you've lost your margin and you've actually gone underwater. So again, we're talking today about minding the margins. And so in just a sec, I'm going to show you some pie graphs. Now, I don't want anybody to panic. This pie graph is just to show you how dollars are spent. And I want to, I want to show you in percentages and I need to tell you right now that your percentages will look very different than these ones. And it's, and it's actually your job to figure out what your percentages are, like where your money's going. Um, so again, this is just a grid. Uh, let me preface it with this. Most people, and unfortunately, um, a lot of people did not learn good financial habits from their parents. Their parents either didn't know or didn't teach. Then you go to school and you think, well, they're teaching me geometry and they're teaching me economics and they're teaching me biology. Of course, they're going to teach me how to use money. No, they're going to offer you student loans. Let's just be real. And so then you get your career and you get your degree and you get into a good job and you start making money and you're like, ooh, I got all this money. I'm going to get that new car. I'm going to buy that house. I'm going to get the maximum mortgage I can get. And so really, really poor financial decisions because nobody taught you how to mine the margins. And so what happens is for a lot of people, they get out, they get their job and they get all this money. And the first thing they do is spend it. What do I, what do I want? That's the first question. And then they go, oh man, I should probably pay my taxes. So <laughs> if it's not already taken, you, you know, you're going to owe some tax. So you get your taxes and then you think, well, I should probably save some for the future. So if you still got some left, you're going to maybe match an RSP with your employer or something like that for the future. And then it's like, if you have anything left, you might give or share it. And of course, I believe that biblical finance is the exact opposite of that. That it actually begins with generosity and moves where the last thing we do is spend. And so I want to show you this, this wheel. And again, this is just a way to think about it. So I've got here first and best. So this is, this is how uh, my wife and I have, have operated our finances. Uh, talking to people after the first service, so many people came up and like, that's, that's exactly what we've been doing. And it's, and it's blessed us. So for us, the first 10%, as I said, this is not a law or a rule. That's something we decided to do. And if you've never given your first and best to God and you, you have no, I would suggest you start with like 2% and just do something that you can actually succeed at. And I think what you'll find is that you'll be able to increase that with time. 
And there are some people who give 10% and they got so much margin they could give 30. Right? So if this is not a rule. This is just a, a, a starting point. This is something that is a, is a good first step. So we would set aside our giving first. And then the next thing we would do is 10% savings. And I've talked about this in the past. This is what I call the 80-20 rule. Okay? Where the first 20% of your income goes right out into automated into giving and into saving. And if it, look at if we didn't talk anything further on the graph, if, if everyone in Canada did this, imagine if every Canadian citizen gave away 10% of their income. All the charities, all the food banks would be full. All the churches would have everything they need. There would be so many resources because like the average family gives like 1%. So imagine if everyone gave 10%, it would be astronomical. We'd be the most generous nation in the world per capita. And then if everyone saved the first 10% of their income for their future and put it in investments, we'd also be the richest country in the world per capita because people don't do that. So imagine if people just decided they were going to live on 80% of their income. And by starting with these two things, then you see, this is what you have left to spend, but (laughs) it's not that simple. So let's go next. You have taxes. And again, depending on your income, this slice of taxes that you pay is going to vary a lot. If you have a low income, that slice will be tiny, if anything. And if you have a big income, it could be like half the pie could be taxes. Okay. Technically speaking. So this, you have to figure that out and it's really easy. You can go to your tax return and just look at how much tax you paid last year, divide it by your gross family income. And you've got a percentage that you can use when you formulate a budget. So you get your taxes next. You got to pay your debts. And the reason why I'm putting all these things first is because they're non-discretionary. If you have a student loan, if you have a car payment, you can't not pay it. So it has to be there. And hopefully my goal for all of us would be that we would get out of debt, zero debt, that we would be able to live uh, with, without paying interest and without having all this debt load. Because guess what? When this disappears, then it, it gets added to our margin. So we got debt. And the next thing we have is our housing for a lot of people, that can be anywhere, somewhere in the range of 25% of your, of your family budget is housing. So what you see is each time we're adding something, this, is, this spending column is getting really small, right? Keeps getting chewed into. So you, you, got your, you got your mortgage, you got your rent, you got your lease, all those kinds of things. And then next, you're going to have uh, food. Can't forget about that. And so this is really important to understand. And this is something I always want my, my kids, my teens and young adults to, to understand is that when they get their first job, even if they're doing this first 20%, they're like, I got 80% to live on. Piece of cake. I'm buying new shoes, man. I'm getting that $500 coat. It's awesome, right? I'm, I'm getting the latest phone, right? Because I got all this. And what I want my kids to understand is as soon as you move out and you get your own apartment, car, insurance, all of a sudden you realize that you only get to spend about 20%. And out of this comes your vacation and your clothes and your, you know, all the stuff that you want to do, your, your um, entertainment And the goal would be, if you're doing all of this well, is that at the end, there would be some margin. There would be some margin left over. So in this pie, there's 5% left over. And if at the end of the month, you've started here and worked your way around the wheel, and there's still some money left, what do you do with that margin? As I said earlier, you can save it. You can give it. Really good idea would be to pay this off, because once this slice is gone, then this becomes 10% margin. And here's the thing. If you have your finances organized in such a way that there is margin at the end of the month, then if groceries increase or if expenses increase, you're not going underwater. And the reason why this is so important for me to share with you is because, look, there are so many people who do not have any margin financially. And in the next year, as things continue to increase in price, it means you're underwater. And it means that you are put into a place where you can't be generous to anybody 
you're stuck. And it's incredible because even if Jesus himself said, I want you to give and help somebody, you'd be like, I can't. My bank account's empty and MasterCard says no more. And I don't want that for anybody. Uh, The best thing that could happen for us as a church is that everyone got out of debt, had margin, had an emergency fund, had retirement savings, and went, I got extra. What can I do with it? That would be an incredible place. That's where I'd love all of us to be. That makes sense? So let me give you five really practical steps. You're going, okay, this all makes sense. What do I do next? Uh, here's the first one. The first thing you need to do is decide. It's kind of like exercise. Everybody knows how to do it. But you have to get to the place where you're like, I'm tired of living like this, and I'm going to do something about it. And this is true. Uh, for a lot of people, um, if you don't like budgets and you don't like crunching numbers and formulas, this can be really, really hard. And, and maybe the best thing you could do is invite somebody who's blue, who loves that stuff. Like literally, if you hate it, there, I assure you there's somebody that absolutely would love to look at your numbers and create you a budget and make you a wheel with percentages and tell you how much money you can spend each month on yourself and on everything. And they'll do that for you if you can trust them and be humble enough to ask for help. You with me? But you got to decide. you got to start somewhere. The next thing you want to do is set a goal. And maybe it's, you know, you're not going to revamp everything overnight, but here's the thing. Maybe your goal is to pay down some debt and you say, I'm going to, I'm going to pay off $3,000 of debt this year. And you make a goal and you organize your money to do it. Maybe it's this year I want to give more, or maybe this year I want to reduce my hours at work and have more time for the community. Whatever it is, you set a goal and you start making strides towards that. Next thing you're going to have to do is track your money. Everybody makes a budget and we put all these things on the, and Every time I make a budget, there's always something missing. Does anybody notice this? You make your budget, you're like, oh, look at all this extra money at the end of the month. And you forget about Christmas, and you forget about birthdays, and you forget about holidays. and like So all of these things that get missed, if you actually track your money, you'll find all the things that are missing in your budget and be able to add them in there so that you're tracking your money properly. So this is really important um, to look at it regularly. The next one is uh, to cut spending. So you can either cut spending or increase your income. Those are both ways that you could get some margin. For most of us, increasing our income is, is not in our control, but cutting spending is. A couple of weeks ago, I redid our family budget because, honestly, through the pandemic, we didn't need to because like, sports were canceled. We weren't driving much. So there was actually more margin for our family. I know that wasn't the case for everyone. But now that everything's rolling again, it was like, whoa, where's our money going? So I had to review it all. And reformulate a budget, and I saw a couple of really clear areas where we could save. And so we start to adjust now so that we don't find ourselves underwater a few months from now. Does that make sense? So I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Here's the last thing. Develop a plan. Again, I would encourage you, if you don't have a financial planner, if you don't have uh, systems and tools for this, to to make some steps towards that. In fact, uh, later today, I'm going to send an email out. I'll just push it out to everyone in our system. Uh, that'll have some links to like a, a budgeting tool, a spreadsheet that's free with instructions. So if you're interested in spending some time to get your finances sorted out, free tool. You're going to take some time and effort, but it, it'll be worth it in the end. So we'll try to share. If, you, if you're part of our church and you have access to Right Now Media, there's like an entire section on finance and budgeting. and you, There's all kinds of resources available. So I want to kind of point you to those. Let me, let me close out with a passage of scripture that is often... Um, misunderstood. In Luke 16, Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. He finishes with this statement. You cannot serve both God and money. You've all heard it. 
Most people do not know the context of this passage. If you read Luke 16, it's the parable of the dishonest manager. So let me give you the Coles Notes version. I want to encourage you to read Luke 16 this week. Here's the Coles Notes version. There's this manager, represents God, and there's a steward. So this is somebody who's like, you know, a salesman, uh, a sales rep. So he's, he's managing the boss's money, and he's going out and making deals with all these customers and clients. And the boss finds out that this manager has been uh, being uh, dishonest, unfaithful, calls him and says, give me your books. You're fired. Bring me your books, and I'm taking away everything that I trusted to you. So what does the guy do? If you've ever read the parable, it's so weird. He goes out, and he's like... How much do you owe my boss? Oh, you owe him 100? Writes a receipt, make it 80. Hey, how much, how much do you owe my boss? 60? Make it 30. He's, he's cutting everybody deals. He's giving away his boss's money. What do you think is going to happen when the boss finds out about that? I would expect the boss to be furious, right? And so like, as is usually the case, when Jesus tells a parable, there's usually a twist in it that doesn't make sense. And that should be the key to understanding it. And so what happens is when the boss finds out that his manager's cutting, giving his money away to make friends with these people, he actually commends them. It's like, and that's weird. Because if somebody did that to me with my money, I'd be furious. I'd be furious. And Jesus makes the point. He's like, you have to understand, money is temporary. Money, it all belongs to God anyway. When we take what he's given us and entrusted us and we give it to other people and help them with it, God's like, they finally got it. And and so this context of this passage is really, really, really important. And so here's the thing. If we fail to have margin, if we fail to have a plan with our finances and our time, we cannot be generous. Why? Because we have no margin to be. And so I, I I know this is a bit of a heady message. I know it's super practical. But man, if all of us made little adjustments to create margin in our time and specifically in our finances, it would actually give us the opportunity a year from now to be more generous, to help more people and to do more for the kingdom of God. So simple, practical, but if we get this, um, it allows us to fuel generosity. So with that, let me pray and then we'll turn it over to Andrew. Father, thank you for each and every person listening today. Lord, I recognize everyone's coming from a different place when it comes to money and how to handle it. And I know that that all of us uh, want to be generous. But for many of us, we are unable to be because we're not prepared to be. Lord, help us to steward and use the resources you've given us so that we can have margin, so that we can have resources to share with others, that we can have time and energy to share with others, that we can have emotional energy and relational energy to share with others. Help us, Lord, not to use everything you've given us for ourselves. Uh, but to be generous and ready to share. Lord, thank you for each and every person. Thank you that your spirit empowers us as we go from this place to make small changes that lead uh, to big changes in our life and in our community. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Invite Andrew to come up. Thanks, everyone.